Well, welcome everyone. It's great to have you back here tonight for week four. Uh, can't believe four weeks have gone by so quickly already, but it is wonderful to have you here. Now, as I mentioned at the end of last week, we're going to keep going for those of you who are, you having a hard time hearing me? Okay. Um, we're going to keep going for those of you who would like to get a little bit more of this introduction to the Christian faith. And uh, so uh, next week, if you're here and you want to continue, well, it's going to look just like week, week uh, like, like tonight did. Uh, and then we'll go for a few more weeks. So next week we're going to talk about how and why should I read the Bible. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into the Bible. And okay, this is a big book. How do I read it? Where do I start? Then we'll talk about prayer. Prayer is an interesting topic that we don't know a little, very much about. So we're going to talk about what prayer is, uh, communicating with God. Then we're going to talk about the issue of evil and suffering and the challenges that we face in our lives. And how is God involved with that? Then we're going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? You know, we, we grow up in our traditional denominations and we know about the Father and we know about the Son, but who is this Holy Spirit dude? Um, and then, uh, then we're going to talk about the church. You know, I've had one experience with church. What does the Bible have to say? And again, all of Alpha is about what the Bible has to say about this. All we're doing is pulling information from the Bible and, and sharing that with you. And then the, 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 uh, the sixth week will be, uh, what do I do with the rest of my life? Okay, I've gotten all this information. This seems interesting. Uh, what, where do we go from here? And so we would love for you to be a part of that. If you want to keep coming, we'd love to have you. It's going to look just like this. If you've been watching live stream, you can continue to watch live stream. Or maybe you'd like to take it in live and enjoy the amazing meal that uh, we had tonight. Now, I know at the Ariades they had brisket, I understand. So, uh, so we're going to be joining you for leftovers at about 9 o'clock. We'll be over there. But uh, we appreciate you guys joining us online. I understand there's a, several of you doing that. And I understand there's some folks that want to be contestants in tonight's game show that we're going to talk about as well. But anyway, tonight we're on page 24, How Can We Have Faith? That's an interesting topic because all we've been doing is talking about faith. I, if I were to title this, and nobody asked me to title this, but if I were to, I'd say the, the title could be, Can I Be Certain About What I Believe? Can I Be Sure About What I Believe? And look, through the years, most of us have believed or been exposed to a whole lot of concepts, interesting concepts of, of how we hope we can have peace and meaning and purpose with God now and then life forever in the line on the other side of our last heartbeat. But most people, as I talked to you about last week, as I gave you a little bit of an understanding of this comparative religion, most of us grew up with the fact that it's God is here, we are here. Last, year, last week we talked about the chasm between us and God, and that you know, we're do, these arrows are our efforts to reach a holy God, which all of us come short, just like the Bible tells us we come short. And so we have this kind of this validating performance record religion that we talked about. Our performance record, we hope, is going to validate us to God. We'll talk more about that. And so, basically, when you look at this, this is all about rules and keeping the rules, keeping the commandment, keeping the, the pillars of faith, keeping the, the, the path of enlightenment, sticking to adhering to the path of enlightenment. All that is about us. And in those religions, you don't need a savior. You are your savior. How well you do determines whether or not you are accepted by the God that most all of us say we believe in. And so we, 
we have to keep the rules. But if we keep the rules, that means God's got to accept us and not reject us. But here's the problem. Uh, you and I, we don't, we don't keep our own rules, do we? The heck with the Ten Commandments and all that other stuff. But we really do love rules for others. I love putting rules on other people. I just don't want those rules applied to me. And so uh, here are some rules that I think are very interesting. These are the pool rules from the Arlington Gateway Hotel, 801 North Glebe. If any of you are going to be in Arlington, you can just go to the pool. Here are the pool rules for the Arlington Gateway Hotel. The first pool rule is if you've had diarrhea in the past two weeks, please do not use the pool. Don't use the pool for what? That's what I'm wondering. Um, so I, I'm not making this up. This, I, this actually was taken from my cell phone. This is for, for real. Second pool rule, shower your child and yourself before entering the pool or after using the toilet. I mean, who doesn't take a shower after they use the toilet? I mean, why do you even have to tell me that? Um, the third pool rule is bathers who are not toilet trained or incontinent. I love that word, incontinent. You know, I think about North America, South America. So bathers who are not toilet trained or incontinent adults must wear a swim diaper. Now, who's going to check that out to find out if they are or not? Excuse me, sir. Uh, uh, no, okay. So you're not going to do that. Okay. But the fourth rule proves that they don't believe you're going to keep these other rules. So here's the fourth rule. Do not drink the pool water. Whatever you do, do not drink the pool water. So they clearly don't even believe you're going to keep the rules that they take all this time to... They, God knows how much they... I mean, thousands they spent for that. But, you know, last week we looked at scriptures that present the challenge of a validated, validated performance record worldview. Like I shared with you from Paul's letter to the church at Rome. All have sinned. You have sinned. I have sinned. Lied, cheated, stolen. And as a result of that, we're not acceptable to God. We talked about this chasm that is a result of our being sinful, self-centered human beings that want what we want when we want it and the hell with you and anybody else that gets in my way. That's intrinsically us. That's what's in us, Jesus said. And we talked about even if we didn't think we were that bad, last week if you were here, you remember we put up the thought monitor that even if you feel like you can hide some of your stuff, if our thoughts could be seen, we would all be imprisoned. And we know that that is true. So it is universal. It is universal that we develop and we design a view of God where we define how good we need to be based on our own, remember, not theology, but meology, where I form God in my own image. And, and I was a, and maybe you are, I think this is a very technical term, so you know, I don't want to go over your heads here, a meological relativist, okay? So... Basically, everything's based on me and everything is relative to suit me, hoping to earn the acceptance of a supreme being, trying to do my best. And from the comparative religion model, we get a few different examples that maybe you can relate to. But before I say that, there, there are some of us that think, you know, we, we feel like we're better than most people. And that's meology, hoping for a comparison. But there are some of us that feel like, no, Frank, I'm just too bad. So I'm a meologist from a, a self-pity and self-worth perspective. 
that says, I'm too bad for this God to even give me a second look. So regardless of whether you're here and thinking highly of yourself or here and thinking very lowly of yourself, where's the focus? It's right here. It's on my performance, my feelings, what I think, what I, perform, what I determine are the facts about my life. And so there's, there's several examples where we just get into this comparative, validating performance record type of thinking, and we feel like, you know, we, or we hope uh, we've been better than not. And so let me just ask you, tonight, remember the topic, how can I be sure of my faith? Well, let's just talk about some examples that we may giggle, giggle at a little bit, but it's really how we think. So maybe when you get to heaven, God grades on a curve, okay? He's not going to flunk the whole class. So, and, and, and I know, you know, if you hang out with bad people, you're going to feel much better about yourself. So just hang out with bad people. Don't be quite as bad as they are, and you will, you may not pass by much, but you'll get in there. So... So just, you know, God must wait on a curve, right? Maybe we think that way. And what's that based on? How I view myself. Or maybe in heaven, there are these big, these big scales, okay? And uh, on one side of the scale, are, you know, are our negative, negative works, the negative things that we think we've done. And, and the other side are the, the good things, right? How would you feel right now if this is how you went? You wouldn't feel, how, how about now? You feeling a little better right now? Um, how about here? Okay, so you just hope you're piling up your, your, your good works, your plus sign works are better than your negative sign works. But here's the question. Who determines what's good? Who determines that all these things that I count as good, God defines as good? I mean, I love to help older ladies across the street because if I get into their good graces, maybe they'll, maybe I'll make it to their will or something. But how do you know, how do you know that? I mean, all the things that I'm de- saying are good, are good that I'm doing for you, I may just be doing for me. How do you know that? And so this is really, I mean, actually in the Quran, you will see in one of the chapters of the Quran, if your works be light on the scale, if your works be heavy. But again, this is how we think. We think relatively in terms of what we feel like we have done and what we haven't done. Now, I think this is an interesting thing that... Um, would be interesting for us. And I understand tonight we have three contestants from the Ariadne House, uh, from the Gregoire family, will be joining us tonight. They're contestants. They've wanted to be contestants on this show for quite a while, and tonight they will be contestants. I understand Charlie uh, and uh, Amanda and Brian Gregoire, you're watching tonight, and you are going to be contestants on this incredible game show. This game show is called Hot or not. And, and, and on this great game show, uh, you can stop the band. Okay. Um, on this game show, what happens is this. And, and the way you have to play, this, the, play uh, Hot or Not is you, it, unfortunately, you have to be dead to play Hot or Not. But basically, there's this massive roulette wheel in heaven. So on this massive roulette wheel, everyone that's ever lived is on this roulette wheel. Okay, you, you got that picture? I'm sure this is easy for you to, to comprehend. So, and then when you, when God spins the roulette wheel, if it stops on the person, it will stop on a particular person next to you. And depending upon who's better, will determine who is hot or not. Okay? So, if you're better than the person next to you, then you, you won't be hot. But if you're not, well, you get the idea. So, let's go. So, um, Charlie, you're the first contestant tonight. 
And let's roll the wheel. Okay. Oh, okay. I don't know you personally, Charlie, but I'm hoping you're better than he is. Well, let's, let's see again. Let's go for our next contestant. Amanda, you're up next, okay? Let's see who's there. Oh, okay. Well, um, I think Amanda's all right still, but... Okay, well, our third contestant is Brian. Let's see if he is hot or not. Feeling the tension right now. Oh! Oh. Yeah, um, security will be uh, knocking at the front door, uh, Brian, just a few minutes, so uh, it's been nice knowing you. But, but isn't that stupid? I mean, that's just stupid. But this is how we think. Well, I may not be perfect, but I'm no Nicholas. I may not be perfect, but I'm certainly no Daniel. Uh, and we, we do that. That's what we do. And we hope <laughs> God thinks that way too. But he doesn't. Um, if what the Bible tells us is true. So, so here, is a, a, here is a meological relativist test that I'd like to give you. Um, to see whether or not our, the, the record of performance that we have will validate us or not before the Bible, who the Bible says is a perfect God. So I hope you enjoyed tonight's meal. Tonight's meal, I, I think you enjoyed it. But um, I told you about the chef, and I told you that you, sometimes you just don't know what the chef is going to do, and tonight the chef was in a particularly bad mood and did lace some of the meals. Not all of them, but some of you got the poisonous meals that were given to, the, um, to you by the chef, and the way in which you know whether or not you got the poison meal is that you're feeling sleepy right now, okay? It has nothing to do with me. You're just feeling sleepy right now. So imagine for a moment if you're just, there you are, and suddenly, boom, if you're facing me, you fall to the floor, your head hits the table, whatever. And next thing you know, now, I know this is goofy, but I'm, I'm really turning the corner here. You're, next thing you know, you're standing in front of Jesus Christ himself, okay? You're dead, um, you've interrupted my evening, but you're in heaven. You're, you're, with, you're with Jesus himself, and he asks you a very serious question. And think about this now. We've been talking about, is it scales? Is it curves? Is it comparison to other people? I mean, how secure do we feel with any of those thoughts? Not very. Would you agree? Not, how secure are you going to feel with that? But you're standing in front of Jesus Christ, and he asks you this penetrating question, that you have to answer. You can't phone a friend. You can't pull the audience. You have to answer this question. And he asks you this question, why should I let you into my heaven? Ask yourself that question real quick. There you are. Didn't plan on being there. At least you beat the hurricane. Okay. You didn't expect to be there, but you're standing before the God who said he created it all, created you, and is perfect. What is your answer to that question? Um, are you beginning to think in your mind all the good things? Are you trying to do the inventory of all the good things that you've done? Is that what you're trying to do? Uh, 
Are, are, are you trying to cover yourself by your church attendance or people you've helped? Or You see, all of that is hoping your record of performance validates you. And that is completely contrary to what the Bible's saying. Now, again, maybe the Bible's wrong and you're right. But it's not what the Bible's teaching. Now, I want to take us just back again just for a minute to, to, to this scripture right here, which I'm not taking you back to because you've never seen this before. But this is in Paul's uh, letter to the church at Rome. Look at what he says here. But if it, salvation, that is life on the other side of your last heartbeat, life in the dash, life on the, uh, in the line on the other side of your last heartbeat, but if it is by grace, now remember we talked about grace last week. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It's receiving what you and I do not deserve and couldn't in a million lifetimes earn. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. In other words, grace is a gift given. A validated performance record is earning, working, doing your best. So you either have to work for it or it's a gift. It can't be both. Do do, do you see that? These two contradict one another. They are in contradistinction to one another. They cannot live together. And so, so it's either by works, it's either by my effort, by my validating performance record, or it's by Jesus' perform, validating performance record. And so when I show you this again here, these, these pictures of religion and all of these religions that tell us we're going to try to do our best here, it can't be both. Do you see that? These are two completely different models of what we would call religion. One is God's initiative effort, and the other is our initiative and effort. See, but the two, there is a huge wall between the two of them. They can't both be true. Either there's no such thing as any of this, and it's all fables and fairy tales, or one of these validating performance record religions, one of these meological religions is true, or... God has done for us in Christ what we we could not do for ourselves. And the question is, what do I believe? That it's God's effort or my effort? See, as I said, in validating performance record religion, I must be my own savior. In biblical Christianity... You realize, if what we read last week is true, there is no capability in and of myself to in any way commend myself to a perfect God. And the question is this. I, let me ask you, do you, anybody here want to believe a lie? I don't want to believe a lie. Who wants to believe a lie? So the question is, what is truth? And something's not true just because it makes me feel good. And something's not untrue just because it makes me feel not good. Truth is truth. It validates itself. It does not matter. Truth doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. Truth is truth. And I want to believe the truth. And I know you want to believe the truth. And the question is, when Jesus says, my word is truth, and we'll talk more about that next week if you're with us. When he talks that my word is truth, it it either is or it isn't. And so tonight, as we talk about how can we have faith on page 24, the Bible teaches that God... Now, here's, this is what I love this. If the Bible is true, 
The, the Bible teaches that God wants us to know for sure, for sure what our standing before him is and whether heaven is going to be our home the split second after our heart beats its last. And if I have a desire for any of us tonight, if I could get a prayer answered tonight, it would be that every one of you watching tonight, live streaming, every one of you watching tonight, and every one of us in this room, every one of us will leave here tonight certain, based on the Bible, whether or not heaven will be our home the moment after our heart stops, or it won't. It will not be, I hope so, keeping my fingers crossed. There will be absolute certainty, not based on what I'm saying, not based on what this church is teaching, based on what the Bible clearly teaches. So I would love for that to happen. So um, I'd like you to write this down in your books if you've got a pen or something, just to, because I think this is worth, just a short sentence worth, um, worth writing down. Christianity is first becoming someone before it's doing something. Now that sounds backwards. Christianity is first becoming someone before it's doing something. So we're putting what you do, as the Bible does, what you do secondary to who the Bible says we become. Look at what Paul wrote to the to the, the Corinthian church, the church in Corinth. This is what he writes. He says, when someone becomes a Christian, we're going to talk about that word becomes a little bit more in a minute. He becomes a brand new person on the inside. He is not, she is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. So do you see this? When someone becomes a Christian, he, she becomes a brand new person on the inside. He is not the same. She is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. You can't become someone you already are. You can't begin if something's already begun. There's a clarity here of something ending and something starting. Remember last week, if you were here, I think somebody took my plugs. But, um, but remember, we were, I said that we were plugged into death, and death in the Bible is not annihilation but separation. Do you remember that? So we're plugged into death. But Jesus came and died to not only forgive us, to take us out of death, but then plug us into life so that we were no longer this and we became, I'll just use my, we became a new person on the inside. Do you see that? See, so we, when you become a Christian, did you know you could become a Christian? You're not born a Christian. You're not determined to be a Christian by your mom or your dad or your grandmother or your priest or your rabbi or your pastor. When you become a Christian, you become something, someone, according to the Bible, you never were before. That's fascinating. See, the Bible teaches that you and I are born physically creations of God, but we are born spiritually children of God. Two different things here. When you and I are born of, when Jane's born of Phyllis and Warren Duncan, she is physically born as a creation of God. But the Bible talks about, so the Bible talks about us being born physically alive, but plugged into a dead plug, separated from God. 
But when we are, the Bible says, when we are born spiritually, we'll get, get, get more into that in a second, when we are plugged into God, we, are, we become children of God. Born physically, creations. Born spiritually, children of God. And again, don't believe me, and I know you're not having a hard time with that, but this is, here's what the Gospel of John says. This is what God, John says in the first chapter, 11 through 13 verse. He, that is Jesus, came to his own, that's the Jewish people, yet his own, the Jewish people, did not receive him, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to, there's that word again, become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. So he's not, so... What God's saying here, just to stick with Jane's for a minute, Jane's relationship with God has nothing to do with her being born of her mom and her dad, Warren and Phyllis Duncan. It has everything to do with her physical life. It has nothing to do with her spiritual life. All right? And so to as many, to as, many as received him, to those who... Okay, Believed, we're going to talk about what believed means in a minute because we have a, a mental ascent definition of this word that is not a good biblical term. Biblical definition, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become a child of God. So there's this becoming a child of God, and you can't become a child of God if you already are a child of God. So something happens. There's a believing. There's a receiving. Uh, Carolyn and I, last week, we gave, I offered Carolyn the gift. She received the gift, and when she received the gift, according to this, when you receive the gift, you become Something Obviously, that doesn't happen as I'm giving her a, a, a clicker, but something happens. Something changes, right? And so it's important for you and me to see this. And then here's Jesus talking to a, a, one of the Jewish religious leaders, okay? Very smart, very accomplished, knows his stuff, well-respected. Jesus says to this guy, his name, by the way, is Nicodemus. Maybe we've heard the story. Jesus says to Nicodemus, Flesh gives birth to flesh. Duncan gives birth to Duncan. Hawkins gives birth to Hawkins. Okay? These are who we are. Bourgeois gives birth to bourgeois. But spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Okay, so, so do you see this? When, when your mom and, and dad came together one night, boom. Flesh gave birth to flesh. Now, we didn't see the manifestation of that until about nine months later. But flesh begat flesh. But what Jesus is saying here is, you're born physically, there is the need for a spiritual birth. Why? Because all have sinned, all have lied, all have stolen, cheated, and are separated, plugged into death separation from God. And so Jesus says, you should not be surprised by saying, it's a good idea if you be born again. Is that what it says? You know, if you get some time, it would be helpful for you to be born again. He says, when, when Jesus says must, it must mean that he means must. It must mean that. All right? And so we see here that he's saying, the Bible teaches that the entire human race was born into another family. They were born into the children to a family of Adams. I've got these two very expensive cups here. 
Uh, Georgina actually saves them for me. And so what the Bible teaches, this, this A stands for Adam, all right? The Bible teaches that we are all humans born into this particular family. The entire human race was born children of Adam. If you and I could do a, an Ancestor.com, Ancestry.com, or a 23andMe, it would all come up, yep, you're an Adam. Okay, every family, Italian, Romanian, Hawaiian, it doesn't matter. Black, white, yellow, red, green, purple, doesn't matter. The whole world is born into Adam. And the ramifications of that are death. Okay? But here's what, look at this, and Paul writes to the church at Rome, which I think is very helpful. He says, therefore, just as through one man, now who's that one man? Sin entered into the world, sin, separation, and death through sin, separation. So death, separation, spread to all men because all sinned. So then as through one transgression, transgression, another word for sin, there resulted condemnation, separation and death to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, one perfect act, there resulted justification. What's justification? Being declared not guilty, being forgiven, and life being brought, given something you and I didn't have. Forgiveness that we didn't have and life that we didn't have to all men. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, this one man, even so through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous, acceptable, not guilty, receiving life. So we see two pictures here. We see two pictures that are very clear here. So that we see that in the family of Adam, in the family of Adam, all die. But in Christ, the Bible says that all are brought to life. So here's a big family here. In the family of Adam, all die. Let me give you a a picture here of this, which I think is helpful. So, for in Adam, the Bible says, all die. All of us are born into death. And so let me just give you a picture. So here's Adam. And the, res- the wages of sin, remember, is death, separation from God. So let's say, um, let's just say this is, uh, this is me, just for sake of saving some time. Well, you guys help me with this. Um, if my mom and dad had never been, where would I be? Wouldn't be, right? And if my mom and dad's mom and dad had never been, where would they be? Right? And then if my mom and dad's mom and dad's mom and dad had never been, where would they be? So, so you see what I'm saying? We just trace the lineage back. We are all from our father, Adam. And the result of that is we are born spiritually separated from God. And so what happens? God sends Christ. Christ comes into the world to rescue us, to save us. And he dies on a cross to pay the penalty for our willfulness, our self-centeredness, our wanting to be God, our wanting it our way. But when someone believes in his name, when they receive the gift, the Bible says that 
I should, I shall be made alive. I'll be taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. And so I'm taken out of Adam. I'm placed into Christ. Adam is no longer my daddy, and that is a good thing. And so what happens here? I'm taken out of him. I'm, again, unplugged from death, plugged into life, taken out of Adam, placed into Christ. No longer does God see me as being in another family. He, by God's grace, places me into Christ. And that's what the Bible's teaching. So when we look at this scripture again, if any man, any woman is in Christ, he becomes a new creation. In Adam is gone. And everything becomes new. We're now plugged into life, plugged into acceptance, plugged into love and joy and peace and all that God is and gives us in his life. You see, now, if Jesus would have been born, if Jesus would have been born of Joseph, how qualified is Jesus to be the savior of the world, the, the perfect, spotless lamb, as the Bible says? He's not, because he's immediately disqualified because he's in the wrong family. He's born polluted. This is why Jesus just wants some trick for God to say, well, let's just try something really hard and let's just have the Holy Spirit, you know, bring Jesus into the womb of Mary. And so we become new creatures and the old is gone and God doesn't see you anymore, see me anymore as one alienated, separated sinful before him he sees us now in his son and, and if that's true you're not going to hear any better news the rest of your life if that's the truth because God does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves because you know you don't you know you want to be in Christ um, you do not want to be in Adam's family because <laughs> all right that would be a damn shame to do that. Um, <clears throat> but so here's the question. Does God want you... Let me get them off. Just, I almost want to just snap with them, don't you? I just... Um, so here's the question. Does God have any interest in you or me knowing with certainty whether or not we are in Adam or in Christ? Or is he turning off the lights and moving the furniture and just wants us to be confused until we die? Um, the Bible's very clear that God wants you and me to be clear. And I think the scriptures that we talked about last week really nailed that down. If you didn't get a chance to watch session three last week, if you want to pick up a CD or watch it online on our YouTube channel, please do that because I think it's worth the time to get a greater clarity is what does the Bible have to say about me? What does the Bible have to say about God? What does the Bible have to say about one, us together? And so um, what if God wants us sure? I mean, think about that. If he is love, would he not desire for us to be sure? And the Bible argues, sure. He wants us to be sure. Let me just share with you one scripture that I just, one of my favorites here. Um, so here's John's epistle 
to those who are in Christ. You've got the gospel of John that's written to both those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Then you have the letter, epistle is another word for letter. The epistle of, of John to the churches is written to those who are in Christ, who have received, believed, and received the gift. Um, look at what this scripture says here. And this is the testimony. Here's the story. This is it. That God gave us... Now, now, please, check the verb tenses here. Are these people dead? Is, is he writing the dead people? Probably not. God gave us, these people in Christ, he gave us eternal life. He gave us his life. Who's eternal? God. Whose kind of life then do you get if you get eternal life? You get God imparts to us the life of his son, which is the only life acceptable to him. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. I write these things, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, now I've heard so many people say, you really can't know. You know, you hope you have eternal life, you pray, you go to church, you know, you just do your best. That's meology with all due respect. That's banking on yourself. That's me banking on myself. Do you know what the Bible says here? These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, what am I going to do with that? Well, there's one or two things I can do with that. I can accept that or I can poo-poo that. I can say, if that's true, I want to know. And why would we not want to know if God has laid out to us that which is true because he wants us to know. According to the scripture, he wants us to know. See, the word of God tells us that God has been the initiator. He pursues us first. It's incumbent upon supernatural to reach and communicate to natural. That just makes sense. Uh, and again, in Paul's letter to the Romans, this is what he says. But God shows his love for us. Look. That while we were still sinners, separated from him, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, found not guilty, accepted by his blood. His blood, the Bible teaches, is the payment for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Much more shall we be saved on the other, now and on the other side of our last heartbeat, saved by him from the wrath of God. Jesus takes on all of the wrath that I incurred rightly in Adam and he places me into Christ so that there is no more wrath for me. The payment for all of my sins forever have been satisfied in the giving, the selfless giving of Christ for me. That's what the Bible teaches. God shows, I love this, he shows his love. He proves his love. He displays his love. He's put it out there for you and me to see. He's put it out there because he is an initiator and wants you and me to see. This scripture by the prophet Ezekiel is, is a fascinating scripture. This is hundreds of years before Jesus and and Ezekiel is prophesying, according to the scripture, 
by God's directive of him. And look at what this says. Follow this. This is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. If what the Bible's saying is true, this is, this is what's happening. Look at this. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. Does that sound like God's initiating to you? Does that sound like he's initiating to you? It sounds like he's initiating to me. I'm going to do this. Look at what he says. I'm going to be the shepherd. What do shepherds do? Shepherds direct. Shepherds protect. That's what they do. I will seek the lost. Hey, you're all lost and I'm coming after you. That's what he's saying. I will bring back the strayed. You have run. You feel like there's no finding you, but he's finding you. Maybe tonight he's finding you. And I will bind up the injured. I'm going to heal you physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I will strengthen your weakness. Now, here's the question. Who is God speaking to there? Now, think about this. Think about this for you right now. Who is he speaking to? Who is he offering finding to? Who is he offering healing to? Who is he offering direction to? Who is he offering healing, as I said, healing a minute ago? Who is he offering strength to? Hmm. To every one of us in this room, to every one of us watching tonight online, he is making a clear declaration that his love is an initiative love because he so loved us that he gave his son. He has come searching just for us. What are we going to do as he's, if you will, knocking on the door of your heart? Uh, he's not NCIS. He's not bursting down the door. He stands and he knocks and he says, I'd like to come in. I'd like to take over. It'd be a good idea for you now and forever for you to let me take over because I love you more than you love you. And I know the future like you don't know the future. And I can care for you the way you cannot care for yourself. But more than anything else, you need forgiveness. You need to be justified. You need to get unplugged from death and plugged into me, me. I want you is what the Bible clearly teaches. And look at that. I'll just give you one more scripture here as I'm running a little bit late. Look at John says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give, I give. There again, we keep hearing this. I give, I give, I give. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. On the other side of your last heartbeat, on the other side of your last heartbeat, you may die physically, we will all die physically, but we will continue to live. We'll put off this body, this earth suit, but our soul and our spirit will continue to live, is what the, what, the, what the Bible says. They will never perish. You see that word never? You know what never means? Yeah, that's what it means. Never perish. And no one, I love this, nobody's going to steal you from me. Do you hear the intentionality there? Do you hear the protection there? Do you hear, do you hear certainty there? Or do you hear, man, not so sure? Do you see where the Bible pounds home I want you to be sure 
that you're, that you're in Christ, but it's really important first that you know you're not in Christ. And you know why. And you know why you know that you need to get out of Adam and become a new creation. Um, and so we have security, the Bible says, for those who are in Christ, because we're birthed into, joined to, held onto by a Christ who says, no one will snatch you out of my hands. All right, if you look at page 25, if anybody's even looking at your manual, I... But we see where it says faith equals taking God's promises and daring to believe them. That's what faith is, taking God's promises and daring to believe them. But here's the thing, a a response is necessary. Back in 1859, a guy by the name of Charles Blondin, June 30, stretches a tightrope across the rapids of Niagara Falls, not actually the falls here, but the rapids of Niagara Falls. No one ever survived. People have survived this fall. I don't know how, but people have never, never survived down, down the falls, down the waterway, these rapids. They're just amazing. And that and I had the chance to see them a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, Blonde, a guy by the name of Charles Blondin did some amazing things. And he... He actually, he stretched, as I said, he stretched the tightrope. Well, imagine you and I are there. We're at the Niagara Rapids, and we're watching Blondin do these great things. And he comes to us, and he says, he says, I can take a person, put them in a wheelbarrow, and take them from one side of the falls to the next. Do you believe me? And if I were to say, uh, I'm not so sure I believe you. Um, well, let me do this. So Blondin takes the wheelbarrow, he puts about 160 pounds of rocks in the wheelbarrow and he takes the the wheelbarrow from one side of the falls and comes back. And he comes back to me, he says, Frank, uh, I can take a person, put them them in a wheelbarrow, take them from one side of the falls to the next. Do you believe I can do it? And I say, "Um, yeah, I believe you can do it. And then he says, then get in. And I say, not in a million years. <laughs> See, I can, I can offer mental assent. I can say, sure, I believe you can do it. I, I, I believe that. But when do I really believe? And we're going to talk about this more next week. But I believe when I get in the wheelbarrow and submit 100% of myself into a guy that's already shown me he can go from one side of the falls to the next. And he did amazing things. But here comes Jesus saying, I can take you from here to here. I know you guys can't see that when I do that. I can come from here to here. Do you believe me? Do you believe I can take you to the other side of your last heartbeat safely? Do you really believe that? Then get in. Stop trusting yourself. Stop trusting your validating performance record. Stop relying on your meology and look at what my word says and see if it's not the truth. See? So tonight, you know, maybe, I think probably tonight we're here in at least three different camps. At least three, maybe more. Uh, You're here and you're curious. You're watching and you're curious. I'm just so grateful you're here. Regardless of where you are in terms of your worldview. If you're curious, you know, I never heard much about this Jesus stuff before and listening to it for the first time and I'm just listening. Interesting. Hey, 
continue to be here curious, right? Like I said, uh, I can't talk you into anything. That's not my job. I'm just, I'm just presenting. Uh, if there's more to this, that's between you and God, if, if he actually is. So maybe you're here curious. Thank you for being here. Or maybe you're here con- convinced. You grew up your whole life going to church. You grew up your whole life going to church, and you know what you're saying? I never heard anything like this. That would have been me. I heard about Jesus. Uh, I said my prayers. I went to church. I gave my 50 cents in the offering. Uh, But I've never heard this. Maybe I've just given mental assent, but I've not gotten in the wheelbarrow. You're here convinced. Thanks for being here convinced. Thanks for listening. Or maybe... Maybe you're committed or you want to be committed. What does committed mean? Does that mean to try harder, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and just do a better job? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Commitment means being committed to his commitment. When Blondin takes me and I get in the wheelbarrow, how much participation is Blondin looking for from me? Does he want to take a rest after a while? He get in the wheelbarrow and me take over? Do you think he has any interest in that whatsoever? Of course not. I get in the wheelbarrow and I'm as, my commitment is to stay as still as I possibly can and not breathe. Okay? So committed means I am committed to his faithfulness, not mine. I'm committed to his commitment to me, not my commitment to me. I'm relinquishing control. You get in a wheelbarrow like that over a falls where nobody survives if they go in the water. Are you giving 100% of yourself to that person? You bet you are. And Jesus said, I came from heaven to take you from one side to the other and you can't fly there and you can't validate your way there but I can take you there Will you get in. Not mental ascent, total surrender. Um, it was 42 years ago that Annette and I uh, stood before a minister and uh, he asked me the question, he said, uh, Frank, do you take Annette? to be your wife. And I said, she is gorgeous. Um, And he says, well, Frank, that's right. We all agree. Gorgeous woman. Yes, nobody doubts that. Um, But do you take Annette to be your wife? And I said, well, you know, Reverend, she's a good cook, and I know I will never go hungry. He's getting a little flustered at this point in time. He says, but yes, Frank, we all agree. We've all enjoyed Annette's uh, preparation of food. Um, But do you take Annette to be your wife? And I said, well, you know, her daddy's pretty rich. And the day he goes, we're going to be in good shape. Um, But Frank, do you take Annette? You see, I can believe all the right things about Annette. I can believe Blondin can take a person from one side of the falls to the next. I may even believe that Jesus can actually save someone, take them from the dash to the line. But have you said, I do? See, at every wedding, there's a funeral. Did you know that? There's not a wedding that's ever taken place that there wasn't a funeral. You got two people that die to singleness so that they can become Alive as one flesh. You're no longer two. Sound familiar? You're no longer two, but one. What God has joined together, let no one separate. 
And so when Jesus, according to the scriptures, according to history, comes to earth and he hangs on a cross, 2,000 years ago, hangs on a cross, and maybe you could just kind of, maybe we just kind of put ourselves there right now. Think about that. And as he is hanging there, tears pouring down his face, blood pouring from his brow into his eyes, his body riddled with uh, whip marks and, and punches, he looks down at you and he says two words. He says, Kyle, I do. Jamie, I do. Clint, I, I do. Nicholas, I do. Ronnie, I do. Peggy, I do. See, at that moment, 2,000 years ago, do you take Jamie to be your wife forever? Do you take Jamie to be yours? And Jesus hanged on that cross, and he said, I do. And he died. Two thousand years later, that I do comes right into this room, comes right into your houses. Uh, what are we going to do with that? You see, if I say I do, I need Annette to say I do. <laughs> and I'm so grateful she did. But Christ, two thousand years ago, before you and I were even thought of by our parents, hanged there so we wouldn't have to and said, I do, so that we could be his. See, the Bible talks about not only the word of God being initiative, but the work of Jesus. There's nothing that you and I can do to earn it. Jesus hanged there. He paid 100% of my rebellion so that I could experience new life and 100% of his acceptance, his belonging, his love, his meaning, his purpose, now and forever. It's what he offers us. And I'm going to jump real quick. I'm going I'm to pass this scripture here, though you guys can talk about this tonight in your group. But this scripture right here, look at this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right. So God made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin, right? Had no sin, wasn't born into Adam and lived a perfectly sinless life. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, to take on all that we had in Adam and pour all of Adam onto him, all the wrath that all of us deserved, so that, where? Catch this. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God, acceptable to God, in right standing with God, God's child born of the Spirit, perfect in His sight, not because of me, but because of who I'm in. Do you see my hand right now? You don't see my hand. Why? Because my hand is in the cup. And when Christ, God sees me, He sees me in the cup. He sees me in Christ because of Christ. 
and always because of Christ. And then thirdly, the witness of the Spirit. When the night that I surrendered my life to Christ, I woke up the next morning, I was different. I'm just telling you, I was different. I felt different. I didn't look any different, but I felt different. I had to read the Bible. There was a lightness. I felt like a weight had been lifted off me. I can't explain that to you. Um, But when you're out of, taken out of Adam and you believe and receive and are put into Christ there. There are things that happen. It may not be fireworks. It may not be electric, but there's a change. I mean, I've heard people tell me the weight, I feel like, again, I feel like, I guess you said a minute ago, weight's off. Some people find an amazing discovery. They have their, their vocabulary. is just not quite as flowery as it used to be. And they don't have any explanation for that. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting for me is that I became more aware of the things I did wrong, said wrong, thought wrong after I was placed in Christ and I even began to understand before when I was in Adam. Who cares? You know, who cares about this effing thing that makes me feel this effing way about effing times a week? I mean, you don't even hear that. And suddenly it all begins to change. Not that I've never cursed since then, by the way. Don't let me mislead you. Um, but you become more aware of that. That there's a new and a different love for God and for others. There's a change of attitude, change of motivation. Uh, I find myself now wanting to do things for people, uh, not so that I can be accepted by God, but because I have been accepted by God. Not so I can be accepted. That's Adamic. That's I want what I want, what I want it, and I'll do for you so I can get what I want. This is, God has done so much for me, I I want to express. I want to give. One is fear-motivated. The other is love-motivated. One is self-motivated. The other is Christ-motivated. And just certain things are not of interest anymore. Annette could tell you, if y'all want to come by our table tonight and hear Annette's story, it's an incredible story. So we can pile up together there. But I'm sure at your tables there's some interesting stories as well. Um, and that certain things just aren't interesting to you anymore. They were amazing, so interesting. And then all of a sudden... You said, I, I want to be in Christ. God, I do. And then those things that just you couldn't deal without now are of no interest to you whatsoever. Um, and so I've gone along tonight, and I apologize for that. But um, I just, you know, last week we closed the evening by just going through a, a, a way you could articulate your heart to God. There's a lot of words to it. We gave you a little handout if you wanted to take it with you and pray it. Uh, Nothing magic, as I said, about those words, but just words that would maybe uh, describe or express your heart. Um, But tonight, there's just, there's really no words, um, but maybe two, as I said. Um... 2,000 years ago, before he died, Jesus said, basically, I do. When he said, it is finished, he said, I do. Um, And that I do has waited for a response. I don't know how old you are. Maybe God has waited 50 years for you, 60 years for you, 47 and a half years for you, 32 years for you. I have no idea. But would you consider hearing, would you listen tonight for that voice telling you, I do? 
and patiently waiting to hear back from you. So tonight, if you could just, in the quietness of where you are right now, if you say, I do, you're no longer two, but you're one. You're no longer in Adam, but you're in Christ. Forever his, and he is forever yours. And so, I just want to encourage you with that. I want to ask you to just take that with you tonight um, and hold on to that. So, um, next week, as I said, if you want to come back next week, uh, we're going to talk about why and how to read or study the Bible. Hope you do that. Also, uh, if you're watching online, um, there's a lot of questions we're going to be going through tonight. and you You can just go to the Lakeview Christian Center app if you'd like and click on uh, session four and questions. If you're just watching by yourself, you can just kind of check those, uh, kind of check off each of those. If you're with a group, I hope you'll enjoy going through those. That's what we're going to do right now. So let's take a short break, and I really hope to see you next week. Thank you guys very much for coming. <laughs>